Heavenly Father, glory be to your name this morning that you are our defender, that you are there for us, that you have not forsaken us, you have not left us. Help us this morning as we listen to the word that you have for us. Help us to open our ears. Help us to focus on your words, not my words, your words. And help me to speak what you want me to say. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Today, many of you aren't sure why I'm even up here. Um, You're getting a little nervous because normally that means we're going to stand up and, and move. And you remember that you forgot to stretch this morning. Um, But let me reassure you that this morning there will not be jumping, there will not be movement. There may be some characteristics of kids' worship because God has called me to preach the word and God has called me to preach it to children. So this morning you might sense some of that and that's okay. Um, Just go with me. Can you do that? Okay. Uh, One thing I'm not used to is people falling asleep. Um, That doesn't happen in kids' worship, so... If I come and stand near you, that means you just fell asleep, and I don't want to embarrass you, all right? This morning, we're going to start with something that we do from time to time in kids' worship. It's called a sword drill. A sword drill is is kind of old school. Um, What happens is, as I'm going to tell you in just a moment, to draw your sword, which is your Bible. I don't know how this works with digital versions. I haven't had to encounter that in kids' worship yet. It's coming. We get more and more iPod touches. But I'm going, to call, I'm going to ask you to draw your sword. This is a sword in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, this is the sword of the Spirit. And this is a good way to get familiar with the order of your Bible. So I'm going to ask you to draw your sword. You're going to hold it up like this, binding down, just like this. Don't cheat. This is cheating. This is not. You're going to hold your Bible up. I'm going to say, um, say, Uh, John 3.16, and then you will repeat me. So let's practice. John 3.16. Then I will say charge, and you will take your Bible down, and you will find John 3.16. As soon as you find it, take your finger, put it on it. If it's not on it, it doesn't count. And stand up. Okay? Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? If you just had your Bible up, and you don't participate, I'm going to assume that you don't know the books of the Bible. Okay? So here we go. Ready? We're going to do a practice one. Ready? There's an index in the front, if you need it. Draw your sword. John 3.16. Wait. There were people cheating. They started to look early. Okay. Let's try this again. Draw your sword. Now keep it up until I say charge. John 3.16. Charge. Now, you're looking for John 3.16. Woo, you got some fast people. Yeah, there's digital versions. You just scroll down to John. John 3.16, pretty familiar. Jim Cashman, would you mind to read that from where you are? All righty. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're going to do one more. It's the real one for today. Draw your sword. First Samuel 3.10. Wait, cheaters, cheaters. First Samuel 3.10. First Samuel 
Charge. First Samuel 3.10. Old Testament. First Samuel 3.10. Wow, Jonathan Childers got up pretty quickly. If everybody could turn there. First Samuel 3.10. If everybody would stand as we read this verse. Jonathan, could you read it really loudly from where you are? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What's the purpose of talking? Can somebody shout it out? We're going to have a little bit of interaction here. Communication. Communication. What else is the purpose of talking? Understanding. Understanding. What else? Anybody else have one? Instruction. Instruction. Okay, what's the purpose of listening? Communication. Learning. Understanding. Some of these cross over. In your head to yourself, which are you better at? Talking or listening? I want you to think of five things about yourself. Don't tell anybody sitting next to you. Five things. Maybe it's a sport you like to watch or play. Maybe it's an activity you like to do. Maybe it's how many brothers or sisters you have, where you were born, where you grew up. Maybe it's you like to make yummy desserts with chocolate and peanut butter for the children's pastor. And anybody that wants to be in that category, I'm good with that. Maybe it's something like that. I want you, you have six and a half seconds to think of these five things. Ready? Go. Five things about yourself. Okay, that's close enough. Now what we're going to do is I want you to find somebody sitting next to you. And I want you to tell them your five things. And they tell you their five things, and then you repeat them back to each other, your partner's five things. When I was preparing, I thought, we probably shouldn't have husbands and wives do this, but I thought maybe this would be helpful for some husbands <laughs> and wives. So it's okay if husbands and wives do this. Okay, you ready? you got to tell your partner their five things, your five things. They're going to tell you yours, and then you're going to speak them back to each other. Okay, you ready? Go. There should be noise. All right. Was was it difficult? Yes or if if it was difficult to remember all five things, raise your hand. Was it difficult? Was it super easy? What would have made it easier? Let me hear you. What would have made it easier? Pencil, a digital voice recorder. How did you do at listening? You see, talking to God. And listening to God are very important as a follower of God. And in the scripture we read, we, we read earlier in 1 Samuel, Samuel heard from God. But let's back up the story a little bit from where we heard the story. Let's go back to the beginning. You see, Samuel was the son of Elkanah and Hannah. Elkanah had two wives. 
One was, Elkanah, one was Hannah and the other was Peninnah. Maybe you've heard this story before. Peninnah had children and Hannah did not. And Peninnah would make fun of Hannah for not having children. Well, every year, Elkanah would take his family and they would go up to worship and to offer sacrifice at Shiloh. And this one particular year, Hannah was sitting down and she was praying. And she had her eyes closed, I'm imagining. And we know her mouth was moving, but no words were coming out. And she said to God, O Lord of hosts, that you would remember me. That you would not forget me. That you would hear my suffering and would grant me a male child. And I will then dedicate him to you for all the days of his life. While she was praying, Eli, Eli was the head honcho chief, priest, head honcho priest. He saw her praying and her mouth moving. And he immediately assumed that she had been drinking. And he went over to her and he said, woman, how long are you going to make a drunken spectacle of yourself? You need to sober up. I think it's interesting that that was his first assumption. And she said back to him, oh, no, I am a very unhappy woman. I am a very unhappy woman. I have I have drunk no wine or other strong drink. But I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. And Eli answered back, not knowing that what she had prayed earlier. Eli answered back to her, then may God grant you what you have asked him for. So God did. God did grant her prayer. She went home and shortly after she became with child and I think, you know, she couldn't go to the doctor and find out if it was a boy or a girl. And she probably didn't really care if it was carrying high or carrying low. But she knew that God had answered her prayer. And I think she knew that it was a boy. But she waited. And the day came and the baby was born. And sure enough, it was a boy. And she named him Samuel. And as soon as he was old enough, I think this would be so hard. She took him and she dedicated him to the Lord. And he grew up with Eli. And that's where we find him today. That's where we find our story of Samuel. Samuel was a young boy in the temple. He was learning all there was to learn. And all of a sudden, he heard his name be called out in the night. I, you know, he was, he was probably getting ready for bed. And he probably didn't have a nice serta. And he's laying down on the floor. And he's about to fall asleep. And he hears Samuel. He immediately says, I'm coming. And he gets up, and I think he frantically ran in. And he said, here I am. You called me? And, and Eli, was, Eli said, I, I didn't call you. Go back and go to sleep. So Samuel went back over. He went back over to his mat or whatever it was he was sleeping on. And he laid down again. And he was getting comfortable. And I think he was probably about to fall asleep. Right when you do that jerky thing where you feel like you're going to fall. And he's laying there. And what's he here again? Samuel. He gets up. He runs over to Eli. And 
He said, here I am. You called me? And Eli said, I didn't call you, my son. Go back and lay down. So he goes back and he lays down. He gets to his room. He gets over here. He gets all comfortable. He's laying down. And he hears again, Samuel. He gets up. He runs back over again. And he says, say it with me. Here I am. You called me. And at that moment, it finally dawned on Eli what was happening. You see, Samuel had never heard the voice of God. And Eli said, oh, here's what you need to do, Samuel. Samuel, you need to go back. You need to lay down. And if you hear your name called again, if you hear that, I want you to say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back. He lays down in his mat. I think he was probably a little nervous. I don't know. I think I would be. He's laying down and he hears Samuel, Samuel. And he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord goes on to tell Samuel all kinds of stuff, stuff that is amazing. Stuff that he wanted Samuel to do that wasn't easy. Samuel heard the voice of God. And Samuel obeyed the voice of God. You see, in those days, it says in 1 Samuel 3, 1. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord was rare. I can't imagine what it was like for people not to hear the word of the Lord. It was rare. Well, people all through the Bible have been people who hear God and obey. There were two brothers in the New Testament doing their business. You know, they were throwing the nets over, pulling up the fish, making a living for their family, providing for their family. They were fishermen. That's what they did. And this man came walking by who said, hey, yo, boys. Come follow me. You know, he might have used different words, but they heard. They dropped what they were doing, and they went, and they followed Jesus. See, Samuel changed the people. He changed the world because he was obedient. The brothers, they were with Jesus. And that is still changing us today. Because why? They were obedient. They heard the voice of God and they obeyed. Even people today, people in in modern times, have heard the voice of God. They have obeyed. I think of a guy named Phineas Brzee. Phineas Brzee was, isn't that a beautiful picture? He, He was a pastor in Iowa. In the early 1900s, a Methodist pastor, and and he felt that that he needed to move, and he moved to Los Angeles, and he started a church in Los Angeles. And that church, because he obeyed, it was to the down and outs. I mean, it was to the the bottom of the bottom. And Brzee heard the voice of God, and he obeyed. That church that Brzee started back then was the Church of the Nazarene. We're a part of what Brzee was obedient and hearing and obeying what God told him to do. You know, we're a part of this. We need to hear the voice of God 
and we need to obey. How many of you, when you've walked into the, sanctuary, walked into the church, you've seen that big, ugly, yellow wall with a weird word on it? Anybody seen that? If not, you need to look left when you walk in or open your eyes when you go to the bathroom because it's right there. Okay, the word is called Shema. Let's say that together. Ready? Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word, and it means to hear and obey. Shema kids, kids who hear and obey. But it's not just any kind of hear. You know, when I'm at home and I'm doing stuff, maybe I'm on my computer, maybe I'm watching a show and I'm focused, my dear wife can be speaking to me and saying things. And I hear her very well. But when it comes time for me to respond, I have no idea what to say. I heard her. But you see, what this verse is talking about is not hearing. We can hear stuff. It means that we turn from what we're doing. We turn and we focus and we listen to the voice of God. But it's more than just listening. It's great that we listen. But Shema means that we're going to take what that what we've heard from God and then we're going to obey him and we're going to go do it. And whatever activity or whatever calling he has put on our life, we are going to go do it, even if it is crazy. Even if you have a really good job. And God says, I want you to go do this. But God, that doesn't even make enough for my electric bill. I don't care. I want you to move. I want you to go do that. See, that's what Shema. Shema means we hear God and we obey him. We hear and obey. Well, it's more than that, too. Shema is also a passage of scripture. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says that we are to he- we hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We should love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. That we should take these commandments to heart and we should impress them on our children. That we should talk about it when we're at home, when we're away, when we lie down, when we get up. We should put it on the door frames of our houses. We should put it on our gates. We should put it everywhere we can so that we can remember that our God is the one true God and that we need to love him with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Well, in, in Matthew... Jesus says that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Well, as I read that, I think, you know, why does Jesus have to change it? Why did he change what was written in Deuteronomy? Because Deuteronomy says heart, soul, strength. Matthew says heart, soul, mind. What, what is that about? Well, as I read, you see, in the Old Testament and in the time of Deuteronomy was written, the seat of the heart, I mean, the seat of the emotion and the intellect was the heart. And by the time it got on further down into Matthew, the seat of the emotion was the heart and the intellect was the mind. You, so, so Jesus was saying the exact same thing. He was saying, love God with all of you. Whatever is in you, you love him completely. And I hope that's what the kids are learning here at Grace Point. I I think there are ways that we can go about to define how we love God with all of us. The first way is we can serve God. 
The second way is we can honor his word. We can encourage others. We can minister to the world. And we can abandon. We can give God everything and radically follow his will for our lives. You know, we do that, I hope, here at Grace Point. You know, serving God. We try to give the fifth and sixth graders an opportunity to be on a leadership team and to lead kids' worship. Honoring the word. In Bible quizzing and Bible extreme, the kids are learning the story of God, really. They go from Genesis to Matthew or Acts. Encouraging others. In our small groups on Wednesday nights, how are we encouraging one another in small groups? Ministering to our world. We took our fifth and sixth graders to Cincinnati. Short drive. World of a difference. And the kids saw things in a new way. And they ministered in a new way. And then how are we abandoning to God as parents? You know, are we living it? Because your kids are watching it. They're watching you. If you're saying one thing and doing another, I would be willing to say that what you're doing is going to make more of an impact than what you're saying. How are you abandoning yourself to God? You know, if your kids are here Sunday morning for Sunday school and for kids' worship and if they're in choir and if they come on Wednesday nights, they're here five hours a week. If they come every week of the year, they're here 250 hours a week. A year. Sorry, 250 hours a year. I just read a a study in a book on children's ministry and the average person is in worship. You want to know this? 40 hours a year. That means that the average person is missing an entire quarter of church. That's three months. That's pathetic. So if you are not living this out in front of your kids, you cannot rely on the church. You shouldn't anyways. We're here to be a support and to be a help. And we're here to walk alongside you. We're here to anything we can do to help you. You as a parent are the primary faith influencer in your child's life. And if you're only here 40 hours a a year, then you're really the only one. This is becoming more and more, you know, our, our kids are listening to us. They're watching us. Your grandkids are listening to you. They're watching you. Your neighbor, if they have a kid, they're watching you. My little girl, she knows my neighbor, neighbor Ron. How how are you influencing children? Our kids are watching the good and the bad. You know, with with Sophia, I don't know they were going to come out here. With Sophia, you know, I'm realizing that my job, it's 24-7, people. My little girl, she's in my responsibility every day, every hour, every minute of every single year. Even when she's in kids' worship classes, she's in my responsibility. I don't drop her off. 
She's my responsibility. It's, it's my job. And my little boy, Levi, he's only eight months, almost nine. He's my responsibility. I need to be praying for him. I need, I need to make sure that we're honoring God's word in our home. And that we're, we're walking with them. And we're at the beginning. I understand that. But my question for you is, how are you hearing the voice of God? Not just hearing it, but listening to it. Turning and full on listening to God. And then saying, okay, God, I got it. We're going to go do it. And if you mess up, it's all right. God, I'm still trying. I, I heard you and I thought it meant this, but I understand Now it means this. And I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep on the path. I'm going to keep on the journey every single day of every single year of my life. And I'm going to keep walking. And I'm going to be the primary faith influencer. It's nobody else's job. It's my job. It's more than that. It's my responsibility. I I truly believe that children are gifts from God. And some of us, we're not very good with our gifts from God. Some of us, we pass it off. You know, and I understand some of you are grandparents. And you have a new gift that you weren't expecting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that God would give you more energy and more encouragement as you have this child that you're raising for your child. And I pray that you would come and that we as the church and your family, we can walk this journey together. We're going to open the altars. And here's what I want us to do. If your family is in here, I know we're a little over. It's okay. Your Sunday school class away. If if your family is in here, whatever that looks like, grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever that looks like, I want you to find them, and I want you to meet at the altar. And if your kids are in here, I, I you know, I understand my dad is 54. He'll be 54, and he's still my grandma's little boy. So whatever your family looks like, whatever kids are in here, I, I want to invite you to come to the altar. And then, in just a moment, if you have kids in your life, maybe they're grandkids that you influence. Maybe they're great-grandkids. Maybe they're nieces or nephews. Maybe they're your neighborhood kids. I want to invite you to the altar as well. You see, because we are charged as believers to pass it on to the next generation And if it's your kids, you have a huge charge, I believe, because it's your responsibility. So let's stand. We're going to sing a verse of great is thy faithfulness. And I invite you to move forward to the altars now to pray for your kids or with your kids. Let's sing this together.